Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. God is good. You know, if you don't believe he's a way maker, and if you're struggling this morning, jump on his back. He'll carry you through. If you don't believe he's a miracle worker, Chuck's sitting right here. Ted's sitting right over there. Huh? Come on. Come on. You know, so many times we think, oh, God, you didn't. it's, it's in God's time. It's in God's time. It's not in our time. You know, when I, when I used to teach, and uh, that was many years ago it seemed like, and I always thought, and, and I would pray. Every morning I'd go and I'd pray for my class. I would go to each table and pray for my class. I'd say, God, if I can make a difference in one kid, one of these kids here, and if they grasp what I'm trying to say educationally or spiritually, how I live my life or anything, I know that I've been a success. Because one kid, well, I'm here to tell you this morning that this body is a success. Because we are truly blessed this morning to have our young people that grew up in this church. I mean, from, from here all the way up. Three out of four of them. Three out of four. The other one was a little older when they started coming. But you know what? It's a blessing because this is the fruit of this church. You know, we always say the young people are the church from Mars. These people aren't young anymore. <laughs> They're young adults. They are the church today. They are the church today. And I praise God for each and every one. I praise God for the teachers that work with them. I praise God for the families that help nourish them. But, you know, it just was, it, it was the church. It was the whole body that put something in these kids. I just praise God. You know, we have, and I'm going to ask these four young adults. I'm not going to call them young people. They're young adults. I'm going to ask them to come on up. And most of you probably know who they are, but I'm going to introduce them. We have Mariah, we have Renee, we have Alexis, which I always pick on, and then we have Jared. You know, and I'm going to ask us just to reach our hands out and pray for them right now as they're getting ready to share. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for their lives. We praise you, God, that you have instilled in them your Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, that they want to testify of your life and their life and minister to the body of Christ that they've grown up in. God, I just praise you and thank you for each and every one of them. I ask you, Lord, to pour a double portion of your spirit upon them as they speak. Lord, open our eyes that we may hear. Open our hearts that we may receive what they have to share this morning. And we thank you, Lord, and praise you for everything you've done in our lives. 
We ask you right now, Lord, just to minister through them as they minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I feel like this is almost like tell the truth. You may take your places, you know, something up there. And we're going to ask them to share in any order you wished. Ladies, maybe before gentlemen, you know, uh, but however you want to do it, okay? I'm a little bit nervous to be in Big Good Church today. Usually I'm in the back with the kids that just got dismissed. But I'm excited to share what God's put on my heart. Um, so I don't know if you guys have ever been to a restaurant where the waitress, you're talking to her, and she's clicking on her phone, and you can't figure it out. Why can't she just take your order? Why is she looking at her phone this whole time? Well, that's going to be me right now. I have my notes on my phone, but I'm not texting, just so everybody knows. Um, so... We, um, Brother Jim just shared a lot about our young people, and we pray for them, and we thank um, God for their lives every day. And I have some disconcerting statistics that I think are important for us all to hear and to keep in mind when we're in prayer about the mental health crisis that's plaguing our young people right now. So this is from, a lot of it's from a book called Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier that I read um, about transgenderism kind of right now. She's a little more liberal than me, so I don't endorse everything she says in the book, but she shares some important statistics. So she says, in America, Britain, and Canada, teenagers are in the midst of what academic psychologist Jonathan Haidt has called a mental health crisis, evincing record levels of anxiety and depression. Between 2009 and 2017, the number of high schoolers who contemplated suicide increased 25%. The number of teens diagnosed with clinical depression grew 37% between 2005 and 2014. In the worst hit, experiencing depression at a rate three times that of boys were teenage girls. Um, she shares a few more important statistics. The average rate of self-harm, um, especially, you know, cutting, has increased 62% since 2009 amongst teenage girls. Um, a lot of my friends in high school cut. I've never had that issue, but... Um, I'm sure if you talk to the young people in your lives, a lot of them would say the same. It's a big deal right now. Amongst teenage girls aged 10 to 14. So 10 to 14, a lot of those very little kids that just left the congregation right now are in that age group. These are not teenagers. These are small children. Rates of self-harm have increased 189% since 2010. Um, the anxiety levels of tween girls today, for the normal average girl, not for girls that are troubled, for the normal average girl are higher than what would have put a girl aged 8 to 12 in an in-treatment mental health facility in asylum in 1957. So the girls that we see around us, that we love, that we cherish in our congregation, um, they're living in a time when them and their the girls in their cohort are experiencing these record levels of distressing anxiety. Um, and I believe a lot of this comes from isolation. So we, you know, in a lot of ways... Kids these age have it a lot easier than some of our adults, maybe even than some of us. Um, you know, a lot of them don't have jobs. They don't drive so much. They kind of play on the computer. You know, we like to joke about that. But they're increasingly isolated. Member, members of Generation Z are less likely to go to parties, hang out with friends, date, go for a car ride, head to shopping malls, or even go to a movie than were those of previous generations. By 2015, high school seniors were going out with friends less often than eighth graders in 2009. And this book was published during the coronavirus pandemic, but it was written beforehand. 
So especially now with quarantine, which, you know, I understand we want to help people that are especially at risk, but there is another risk that's facing our young girls of isolation and depression. So fortunately, like for all things, the Bible has a good answer for us. Um, And sometimes when you feel alone, you feel like you've opened sometimes a psalm or something cheery and you don't feel that you can empathize. But in fact... Many of our most cherished biblical figures have struggled with the same issues. Um, To them, life has seemed hopeless. And I know that in times of despair, it can seem meaningless. But this isn't a new part of the human condition. And I'm going to share about four biblical figures that have struggled with despair. Um, I'm going to start with a teacher from Ecclesiastes, who is probably Solomon. Then to Elijah, to David, and finally to Jesus. So... We're going to begin with the Ecclesiastes verse, if you guys have that. And it begins, meaningless, meaningless is the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun." So when I was actually reading this to my mom practicing last night, she had to ask me, who said that? And I said, that's in the Bible. So um, that was probably Solomon, definitely a son of David. And if it is Solomon, he was up until that point, the wisest man who'd ever lived. So this isn't something that's totally devoid of meaning. Um, He tries to find consolation in a few sources. So if you guys could pull up the next verse, he begins by trying to find it in just seeking pleasure in hedonism. Is there anything of which one could, oh, well, this is part of the other verse. Um, Could you guys go to the next one? Okay. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Um, and so then he tries to find, oh, yeah, that's done. So, um, then he tries to find meaning in a few other things in work and achievement and wisdom, and he can't find meaning. And finally, he makes his conclusion. If, after 12 chapters, he concludes, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So after 12 chapters, he concludes, basically, he was right. This temporal life we're living is meaningless, but this isn't a cause for despair because we have an eternal hope that's greater and we can find meaning in keeping God's commandments. Um, So we're going to come back to that with Jesus. But next, we're going to talk a little bit about Elijah. So I started kind of early in the chapter, if you guys could pull the verse up, just to give us some context for why he's in such despair. Um, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me. 
be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Now, that doesn't sound something like something you hear in Sunday school. So I'm going to repeat it. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, I don't know if all of you have finished First Kings and Second Kings, but spoiler alert, Elijah never dies. God takes him up in his chariot. So, um, But we look at Elijah that's truly, I mean, if you look at what he says and what he thinks, he's truly suicidal. He's ready to die in that moment. And we see, even in the Old Testament, when we didn't have God's Holy Spirit living within us, that God sends a ministering angel to him in person to take care of him. And so how much greater in these times that we have God's spirit, this comforter that's living inside of us, can we depend on God to comfort comfort us in times of despair? So finally, for the Old Testament, we go to David and his psalm. Okay, so here David begins in Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? So, David, this is one of many, many psalms in which David despairs and cries out to God. But then he continues in verse 3. Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Now, that last verse, I think, is most important. You see David traveling in just the course of eight verses, traveling from total and utter despair, fleeing from his enemies, to lying down in peace with the knowledge that God is with him. And we see that this psalm is almost like a prayer. So all of these Old Testament figures are important, and in many ways they foreshadow the coming of Christ. And so in the New Testament we see how Jesus himself deals with despair. He knows that he's going to be crucified, betrayed by Judas, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he begins, if you guys have the verse, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now that sounds a little bit like what we heard in Ecclesiastes, if you remember the sayings of the teacher, who told us that we can find meaning in doing God's will, even in the height of despair. But not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him, like to Elijah, and strengthened him. In being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So we see in Jesus in the New Testament, 
who's the perfect example, you know, sometimes with an Old Testament pro um, prophet, I can go, well, you know, the Bible says he did this, but it, it's not endorsing that we do this ourselves. With Jesus, everything he does is really an endorsement because he lived a sinless life. And we see sometimes when you feel sad, you feel like, what's wrong with me? Jesus himself found himself in despair. But it doesn't mean that life's not worth living. We find in him and in the prophets a few remedies that we have, which would be in Ecclesiastes and in the New Testament, we see that we can find meaning in the eternal and doing God's will. Because truthfully, this life here on earth, spoiler alert, is meaningless. All the toil we're living toward is meaningless. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're not living toward a higher goal. We find that in the Old and the New Testament, God ministers to us with an angel and that we can depend on him for comfort. And we find that in our moments of greatest despair, David and Jesus alike both go into even heightened, more passionate prayer and that we should try to seek comfort speaking to God. So I'm going to turn it over to my friends for a little for the rest about braving the storm. We are so excited to be here with you guys. And it was so amazing how God moved. Like we were talking and we've been like texting and trying to figure out what we were going to talk about. And we had gone through multiple different uh, scenarios of things that we wanted to say or things that, you know, the Lord was laying on our hearts. And then later this week we get a text from Jared and he says, you know, the Lord's really laying on my heart to talk about going through braving a storm and he gave us a verse to go by and then you know we're all like okay we'll do that like let's go and then it was just reaffirmed today whenever we're you know worshiping we all the words that were spoken were about braving that storm and you know allowing the lord to bring you through so we're going to talk about three parts today about before something that you're facing during something that you're facing and after something that you're facing. And the verse that we are really basing this off of is John 1633. You can pull that up. Thanks, Paul. Okay. This is in the amplified. Um, and I had read multiple different, um, versions, but this one I feel really stuck out. It says, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have perfect peace and confidence in the world. You have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration, but be of good cheer. Take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Now this comes at a really interesting um, place in John. And so I was reading before and after like you typically do whenever you look at a Bible verse. And this is the last thing that Jesus tells his disciples before they go to the garden to pray. This is right before he's going to be crucified, right before he is going to, you know, going to save us from eternal damnation. And this is him telling his disciples, hey, you're going to go through things in life, but you know, you can have peace. Before they've even faced anything, the disciples didn't even know what was going to happen with Jesus. He talked about destroying the temple and then rebuilding it in three days. And they thought he meant literally uh, the temple that they worshipped in. But no, it wasn't. They didn't know the storm that they were going to face of their Lord and their Savior and God's Son to die on that cross. So they, during that time, were hopeless. They, they were like listening, you know, like you sit in Sunday service and you're like, oh yeah, I'm listening. La, 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 la. I, I fall into that too, where I'm just like, okay, like this is really nice. Like this is probably for someone else. This is probably specifically for someone and not for me. This really isn't like going to touch me today. 
when he's telling them even before it happened. And I think that's the most important part is that before they had a foundation with Jesus. They had been with him for how long? Serving him, walking with him, talking with him in the physical. And they are being able to see him face to face. They had a foundation. That solid foundation. I'm not going to talk in builder's terms. I'm not a builder, but I'm a teacher. I'm going to school to be a teacher. And the first class that I ever took about teaching was called Foundations. And I was like, hmm, okay. And so I go into this class, and really, I felt like it was mainly common sense. It was like, you know, whenever you're talking to students, make sure that you're doing it in a professional manner. Make sure that you are, you know, dressing appropriately, which means, you know, nothing super low cut, nothing super tight, you know, because as a teacher, you need to dress modestly. And so I thought, okay, and what does this have to do? What does this foundation have to, what does that mean, a foundation, a, like, a the solid underground uh sturdy is the word that came to my mind and it was not having all of these like you know wisdom not like having this like solomon wisdom but it was trusting in the lord and i felt that trust and peace in that verse went hand in hand if i trust someone if i trust the lord then through anything i have a peace because i know that the lord has overcome he has walked with me through that battle so I went to Matthew seven twenty four. if you can pull that up, Paul. And it's talking about, Jesus is saying, um, and he's talking about building your house on the rock. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So we're talking about going through something hard, a storm. If you're sitting in your house and you're, you know, watching the clouds outside, there's something that tells you there's a storm coming. Can anyone tell me I like participation? Can anyone tell me if you look out your window, what do you see before a storm? A cloud, a gray cloud. You see it coming or you get an alert on your phone saying there's a storm coming. Okay, so you see it. You are prepared for it. The, you are looking at that storm going, okay, there's a storm coming. And what makes it easier is because you know it's going to end. You know at the end that there, you're going to go through that storm, but there's going to be an end. That is your hope. That is what you have as a Christian. But if you don't have that foundation, if you don't know that by his stripes we are healed, or you don't have that foundation, those that knowledge of the Lord and what he's doing for you, then you don't have any way of knowing that you're going to get through the storm. As Christians, we have this hope that, you know, we're going to make it because we know the end of the story. We know that death is going to be defeated and that we are going to rejoice eternally with God in heaven. But how do we know that? It's not something that's instilled within us. If I were to go ask someone that's never been in church, what is your hope? They're not going to that, say that I'm going to live eternally in a paradise in a mansion walking on streets of gold. They're going to say, oh, that I'm going to have a great job. That, you know, my hope is that I'm going to have a wonderful husband and family or, you know, something along those lines. But as a Christian, we have something so much better. We have that foundational knowledge to know, hey, I'm going to face something really, I'm going to face something really hard. Like, 
for me, most recently, it was making a decision to go to college. Okay, you're probably like, okay, well, you know, you, it's just a decision you make. But if you're looking for God and you're seeking that foundational knowledge, and you're looking and you're trying to get there, it's, it's that peace that you feel when you get there. I remember walking on my college campus with my mom, and, you know, I had been really toying with the thought of, what, what am I going to do with my life? I didn't know. I knew that I liked music, but it wasn't anything that I was like, you know, I, I, I know that I'm going to do that. But I remember walking onto my campus and my mom going, this is it. There is a peace here. There's a peace. Why did she feel that peace? Because she trusted. Before we even got there, she trusted the Lord that he made the right decision, that he had prepared my path, that he had good and no harm for me in my path. So he, she knew. We knew as soon as we stepped there. There's peace, there's comfort, there's confidence in being here. And so then I was thinking, all right, okay, that's, that's fine, but what is he to me? What is he to you? What is God to you? Is he that person that prepares you? Is he that person that's, you know, providing for you during that storm? So I went to Genesis, uh, Matthew 6, 25. I'm going to skip the other one, Paul. Matthew 6:25 and it says therefore i tell you do not be anxious about your life well really there's a lot to be anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body what you will put on it is not is not life more than food and the body more than clothing so he's telling the lord is telling us hey you know i provide you know, food and clothing, how much more am I going to provide for you? Then he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, he, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then, so first is having that foundational knowledge. It's knowing that I need to seek the Lord. It's knowing before, before I'm going to go through something hard, before I'm going to have to make a hard decision that I need to seek the Lord. It's having that foundation, that knowledge of the Lord, that walking with. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And I know we hear that all the time as Christians. I hear it all the time, and I go, well, yeah, I know. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than, you know, I have a relationship with my parents, and my parents know me, they, they talk with me, they know my innermost thoughts. And if I'm on the phone with them, they can go, oh, that's Alexis. They know. I don't even have to call from my phone, and they know. And that's the same with the Lord. We have to have that knowledge, that base, to go, oh, that's the Lord. That's the Lord telling me to make this step. That's the Lord telling me to go here. That's the Lord preparing me 
before I'm even going to step foot into something hard, before I'm even going to, you know, experience pain and hardship. He's already told us, hey, I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to feed you. Those are little things, and I've already done them. How much more am I going to worry about the anxiety that you're facing or the suicidal thoughts that you're facing or the body images, image problems that you're facing? And then in 34, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. So we can't be worried about what's going to happen through our storm. We just need to know from our foundation, from our knowledge, hey, we have a hope. We have that hope for the end. So I'm sorry I spoiled the story. I'm sorry that at the very beginning I'm telling you what the end result is going to be, but that is our hope. That is our foundational knowledge that because of this, because I have this knowledge, I know that the Lord has taken on the cross everything for me. I know that he's in my heart. I know that I'm going to have eternal paradise and eternal peace in him that I can even go through that journey, that I can even step foot and say, okay, I have peace. I have peace because I trust in the Lord. I have peace because it is well because the Lord made it well. Even if it doesn't look it, even if I don't see it, I know he's working. Thanks for the cue, Lexi. Uh, I told her last night when we were practicing, you know, hey, you're going to have to slap me and say, hey, you're up. Um, so thank you for that easy cue for me to follow. So um, Ethan, Caitlin, Shiloh, Harris, I taught you guys about character uh, a couple weeks ago, and I know you all love that message so much. You told me how much you enjoyed it. Um, but going off of that, I'm going to be talking about when you're going through the storm. So what if God's plan for pain isn't for you to skip it? I mean, you kind of need the nightmare to appreciate not being in it, right? All right, so when we're going through a storm, we don't know why things happen the way they do. Um, a lot of times we're questioning God, which what do we have a right to question God for? But in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, if you could pull that up, please. He um, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, or neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So it's right there. You know, God's got a plan. We don't know what it is because we're right down here. We can't see the whole picture. God's up here. He knows exactly what's going on. Even though, you know, you're assured by that verse that his ways are higher, you know, you still feel pretty low when you're going through a storm. And some people would even say, you know what, God, I can't feel your presence right now in the storm. You know, are you there, God? And... You know, we know that God will never leave us, and in Deuteronomy 31.6, it says that God will never leave us nor forsake us. We hold on to that. It says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified because of them. The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise right there. You know, he's with you hand in hand when you're in the storm. You know, waymaker, even when I don't see it, you're moving. He's there. And on top of that, we might feel like we're separated from God when we're going through this storm. Um, if you could pull up Romans eight thirty five through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution or famine, or nakedness or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, 
nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. So there it is right there. It's written. You know, you're going through it, you feel separated from God, but we're assured that we're not separated from God. Alright, so, you know, you're going through the storm, and Isaiah 43, 2, God promises to pull you through the fire. Uh, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Right there, he promises to pull you through your storm, through your fire. Just because he promises that, though, doesn't mean it won't be painful. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say, hey, once you come to know Jesus, life's going to be perfect. Because I can stand up here, and I'm sure everyone in this church can too, that life's not perfect. It's a broken world. I mean, if you guys are living a perfect life, that's awesome. Good for you. Teach us your ways. <laughs> so... Uh, when we're going through the fire, you know, we need somebody to lean on. When we're going through that storm, we need somebody to lean on, and that's God. You know, God will give us the strength we need to get through that fire. Um, in Joshua 1.9, he calls us to be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. It doesn't say some places. It says wherever you go. You're going through that storm. Uh, you're going through that valley. The fire, God will be with you wherever you go. Um, you know, in Second Corinthians twelve eight through ten, it talks about God's power working best when we are weak. Um, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but He said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties." When I'm weak, then I'm strong. God's power works best in weakness. It, it, that's what it is. I mean, when you're at your lowest point, you know, you can't do anything but hold on to that hope and you look up. And God is with you and he will make you strong when you're weak. Um, Philippians 4.13. Everybody knows that, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So don't think you can't when you're going through that valley of the fire. Don't think you can't get through it. I promise you can. Um, you know, a lot of times... We pray for an easy road. And this one um, author that I like, he, uh, he said, don't pray for a lighter cross, pray for a stronger back. And to me, that's saying, you know what? You're not going to become who God calls you to be if you take the easy way out. You know, you have runners training for a marathon. Are they not going to prepare and just show up on marathon day and try to run 26.3 miles? I, I couldn't do that even when I trained. But um, no, you're going to prepare for that. And, you know, you're building up your back by that trust and hope you have in Jesus. And one of the final things I'm going to talk about is God never wastes our pain. Um, you go through stuff, God will use your pain and your trials and circumstances to help other people. Um, you know, I said earlier, just because God promises to pull us through the storms doesn't mean he won't change us through the storms. And this is going off what I taught the youth. Like I said, Ethan, Harris, Caitlin. You, you guys love my message so much, so I figured I'd put it in here. Um, if you could pull up Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character builds hope. And like Lexi said, we already spoiled the end of the message, and, you know, it's hope that we have in Jesus Christ eternal life. But that perseverance builds character, and that character, you know, that's one way that God could use our pain. You never waste it. I know, you know, going through some stuff, 
you know, on the outside appearance, when I was up at Penn State, people are like, oh, you dress nice, you know, you have nice shoes, you have a lot of friends and all this stuff. And people wouldn't be able to relate to me. But the closer I got to somebody, there was somebody that lived on the hall from me. And, you know, he wasn't brought up in a church. And he was going through some tough times. And I was watching the Steelers-Chiefs game one night, and I got a text from him. And, you know, he was battling some mental illness, and he wanted to take his life. So he called me, and, you know, we got him the help he needed. But later on down the road, he started coming to church with me and all this stuff. But... I asked him, I'm like, why did you feel comfortable enough to come to me when you were going through this? And he's like, I can't explain it. When I'm with you, there's just this peace I have about me. There's a light about you. And you know what? After hearing, you know, what happened, you know, stuff you went through, he's like, I, I don't know. There's just this peace about you. I'm like, dude, it's not me. It's Jesus. And then he started coming to church. And uh, he eventually gave his life to Christ. Um, I don't talk to him every day anymore, but last time I checked up on him, he was doing pretty good. And that's just one way that God won't waste your pain. You know, I went through stuff, and because I went through stuff, I was able to help him out. Um, you know, it's easy to understand afterwards why things happen the way they do. But when you're going through it, it's tough. you got to hold on to that hope. And Romans 8.28 says that we know all things work together for the good of those that love God and are according to, according to his purpose. So on that note, you know, Renee, go for it, bud. Thank you. Is it working? Yeah, I haven't touched the microphone in a lot of years, so that's how it starts. Um, one of the goals that I had to finish what we're talking about is how do we make this practical? How do we grab all these principles, all the statistics you gave us, all the scripture, the foundation, and when you go through, how do we make it real for us? And the first thing is realizing we all have issues. We all have struggles. We all have problems. That little theology going out of just God just wants you to smile and you know it will be okay. Yeah, God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to do well in this life, but He also allows you to go through stuff to make character in you, to make you grow. And I think that if we make it practical, going to our families who's never had a family issue here, who's never taken care of an older person, who's never taken care of a child who's being rebellious, who's never had a hard marriage. I think everybody can relate to that. And that's one of the struggles we go through. You go to work. You have struggles in work. You work with people you don't like. You have a supervisor you don't like. You have a boss you don't like. That is an issue. In taking it up a notch, you go through sickness and to see stuff the devil wants to bring in your life. Is that not a problem? Yes, it is a problem. But also knowing that Jesus Christ is going to be with us through the whole situation, that is our hope. Knowing that we have an eternity filled with his presence that is where we stand on. If you can pull up, please, Psalms 20, 34. And it says, The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and he hears towards their cry. I want you to know that if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Right now, it doesn't depend on your effort. It doesn't depend on the stuff you do. It depends on the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is why we are righteous today. Verse 16 says, The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Where the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Not just some, not just the ones that are in their heart, not just the ones we ask for all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. 
We love to talk about, oh, yeah, I'm broken before the Lord. But what are the things that break you? The situations in life, they break you. They, go, you, they make you humble before the Lord to realize, Lord, I cannot do it without you. There's no way, there's no path that I can go, Lord, that is not with you. And it says, verse 19, and I love this verse. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He not only goes through you, he not only gives you a, you know, a tap in the back, he's with you and he delivers you from all of them. And how do we make this practical? When we have an issue, I'm, I'm supposed to speak about the afterworld of the issue. I want to make that transition from during to after. So who do we run to? What do we go to whenever we're struggling? What do we go whenever we go out at night? We can't sleep. We, we just roll in our bed. I don't know if that's happened to you. It's happened to me many times. You just roll in your bed. You don't know what you're going to do. You face a situation. You face sickness. You face a many, many situations that are hard. What do you do? Who do you run to? Who can you trust? And thankfully, we have a Lord and Savior. We have this Holy Spirit living in us that we can trust all the days of our lives, 24-7. There are three things that the, the Bible tells us to watch for. Number one is the devil. We think that all, all these statistics you share, who makes all this stuff happen? Who attacks these kids when they're so young with suicidal thoughts? Cutting. Who makes all this happen? You think these kids just wake up in the morning and they want to do these things? No, they don't. There is an enemy who's alive, and he's trying to destroy all of us. He hates us because we are made in the image of God. And he knows what his ending is going to be. So whenever the enemy comes to you, and he tells you, you are no good, you cannot make it, remind him through this scripture what he's going to go once this is all over. Once this is all over, he's going to go to the lake of fire, and we're going to go with Jesus walking streets of gold, mansions. But the biggest thing that we have, the assurance that we're going to be with the Lord forever, forever, it will never be done. It will never be over. That is the biggest thing that we can look forward to. The other thing is we have to watch for our flesh. Who do you run to? Do you seek a bottle whenever you're struggling? Do you go to drugs, pornography, immorality? What do we go to? And I say this because it's the flesh. We all deal with different things. We're not tempted in the same area. But whenever we struggle, there is always that urge. Oh, I just need some help. I just need some way of escape. I don't think anybody's going to notice. I'm justified because I'm going through all this stuff. Or even worse, the world. What does the world offer? It offers you a lot of riches. It offers you a lot of fame. It offers you recognition. Oh, I need another degree. I want to go bigger in my career. I want to do all this stuff. Which again, it's not wrong if you keep the God, God first. If you keep the Lord first, he can give you all these things. But whenever you put these things before the Lord, that is an issue. So whenever we go through the storm and after the storm, who do we run to? Who are we trusting? Are we trusting in ourselves? Am I trusting in buying a bigger house, making a pool? No, I'm trusting the Lord because he's going to be with me through it all. Psalms 23, we hear all the time. It's always in our minds. It's always when a politician comes to, to a rally or anything, it always comes there. But do we really believe it? Do we really recite it and we walk on it when it says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Do we really believe that? Or do we just hide and we go through these things when we have a struggle? I was, you please pull up Exodus 33. And it says, started in verse 14. And he said, this is the Lord. So putting a little perspective on, on this chapter, 
This is the Lord talking to Moses whenever they're in the wilderness and they're really struggling. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. If we put a pause there, knowing that the presence of the Lord goes with us, we're going to have rest. And rest does not mean that everything is going to change from one moment to another. But it means we have the assurance. We just know that he's there. We just know that even though we're going through chemo and many other things, we know that the Lord is there. He's holding our hand. And he's telling me that the end is assured in him. And then verse 15, and he said to him, this is Moses to the Lord. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Where were they at when this happened? They were in the wilderness going through terrible situation. If you read the, the book of Exodus, you can see how many times they complained. They hated being in the wilderness. And Moses is telling the Lord, Lord, if your presence does not come with me, I do not want to leave the wilderness. I prefer your presence in the wilderness than going into the promised land without your presence. And it says, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? And your, I and your people, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Do you realize that everybody on this earth goes through struggles, as we've talked about? But we have a difference. We have the presence of God that goes with us everywhere that we go, and that places a distinction in us. We're different. We're not the same. We have the power not to go, like I said, to a bottle or to drugs or whatever. So we can go to the Holy Spirit. He's always there with us all the time. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Aren't we glad that the Lord knows us by name? You're not a number. You're not... Two, three, five, seven. You matter to God. And of all the millions of people that live on this earth, we would never our minds would never be able to remember everybody's name. God does. God knows everything about you. God knows how many hairs you have in your head, which is impossible for even us to know about ourselves. And the question that I ask as I'm as I close, and are we really seeking his presence as Moses was? Do we really value the presence of God more than the promised land? The promised land was filled with milk and honey and many, many blessings. And again, God wants to take us there. He promised to take us there. But do we really want more? Want Him more than any of the things that He wants to give us? Do we really treasure His presence more than anything else? More than money, more than fame, more than anything that this world can offer? Do we really, really, really want Him more? We talk about David. We talk about Elijah. We talk about Jesus. And they really value the presence of the Lord more than anything else. Are we willing to do the same today? Are we willing to come down Wednesday nights, Sunday morning, and lay down our life, lay down, just kneel and pray? And when you do these things, holiness becomes so precious to you because you do not want to scare the presence of God in your life. You do not want to quench the Holy Spirit. You just love Him so much. And that's, that's how I want to end what, what I'm saying today. Do we really value His presence more than anything else?